I knew I really liked racing. I love training. I love the process. You know, I, I wanted to do my best totally. But as far as thinking about it as like a potential career opportunity, I guess I never really allowed myself to think of it that way. I just wanted to race through my U23. And then the team I was on that year basically sent an email that was like, hey, we talked to the sponsors and we're done. <laughs> so I just sort of took a step back that year and was like, let's see what it feels like to not race at all. It's showtime, everybody. Showtime. You've been living in a dream world, Neil. Yeah. This is the world as it exists today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around yeah. once in a while. You could miss it. Listen, we talking about practice. Hey, Pete, on the dude's run. Donnie, you're out of your element. I see, you think this has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Don't ever trash talk black Jesus. This is the Adventure Stash with Pace and McKelvin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We have another long-form interview today, kind of a traditional Adventure Stash episode. I have really enjoyed the recap episodes and producing those and putting all the pieces together for those the last handful of months. But to be honest, these long-form, more intimate, almost like heart-to-heart conversations are really what got me hooked on this project to begin with and, and helped me fall in love with podcasting um, and has kept me excited to record each and every week since then. Um, it, there's just something really special about you know getting to know someone over the course of an hour and almost feeling like you get to walk in their shoes for a period of time. Um, and a big thank you to Zach for giving us that time and opening up a bit about what it's like to be one of the fastest guys with a full-time job. Zach works eight to five, uh, and despite that, was sixth at the Leadville 100 a few weeks ago, was 10th, or sorry, top 10 at Unbound. Um, is just a really thoughtful young guy, and I really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit more. Um, the The way I got to know him best, or the extent to which I knew him before this, was mostly characterized by the pretty gnarly battle we had a couple weeks ago at Steamboat Gravel. We almost went to the line together. So it's good to good to get to know him um, in a setting different than that. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoy this episode. Before I thank this week's episode sponsor and we dive into the episode, uh, a couple quick announcements that might be of interest to y'all. Uh, sock Guy sent us a bunch of pretty sweet socks. They're sort of like a lavender purple color. They have the Stash House Productions logo on them and we need to give them away. And we're going to do that in a pretty fun way, I think. We're going to have some trivia on the Adventure Stash Instagram every week. Basically, the way it's going to work is uh, we will post three different stories. Uh, there'll be a little poll, like a multi-choice question um, in each one of those stories. And basically, we'll have two questions relating to the most recent episode. And then a third question that could be about any episode uh, in the recent past. And basically for every question that you answer correctly, it's one entry. So if you get all three questions right, your your name will be thrown into the hat three times. If you get no questions right, you'll just have to wait until next week. But there's no strings attached. We'll pay for shipping. Uh, we'll have to look into how much shipping you know, would, would run globally. But certainly within the States, uh, we will cover shipping. And um, yeah, just something fun. Something to kind of thank you all for being engaged on the Adventure Stash Instagram. Um, so look for that. 
Also, just a quick heads up that I've actually jumped on a bunch of other people's podcasts recently. Usually I, I don't make the time to get on other people's podcasts because we're so busy making this one happen. Um, but over the last few months, I've jumped on the Bikes or Death podcast, the Bikes and Big Ideas podcast. Uh, there's a new fun one called Nick's Vancast that I did back in April. And then just today, actually, I jumped on the Out of Bounds podcast, which is part of the Out of Collective. And I think that'll be up uh, in the next week or two. So if you want to hear from me um, on someone else's podcast, you can go check those out. Lastly, a big thank you to Salt Stick for supporting today's episode. Uh, fast chews are a really cool idea and something that I rely on for long rides and races. They're electrolytes that have been growing in the cycling world over the past couple of years. And, and for really good reason, they're chewable electrolyte tablets. They're almost like sweet tarts, but for hydration, you can chew them up and they're absorbed in the mouth, which is up to four times faster than absorbing through the gut. Um, which is handy for a handful of reasons, but way up there's, you know, pretty, it's pretty common to get some upset stomach, um, some bloating, all that sort of thing during really long rides or tough training rides or even a race. Uh, and this is an awesome way to continue to keep your electrolytes topped off. If that happens, you can get some fast chews at Amazon, REI, saltstick.com, local bike shop. They come in seven awesome different flavors, including lemon lime, mixed berry, and tropical mango. You can get them in 60 count bottles or 10 count Ziploc packets, and you can get yourself 20% off on the saltstick.com website with code PASEN20. 20% off with code PASEN20 at saltstick.com. Big thanks to them for supporting today's episode. We'll catch you after the show. That was going to be one of my first questions. I know you, uh, I don't know, I actually don't know that much about you, which is one of the reasons that I'm really excited to talk today, but one of the things I don't know about you is where in the Salt Lake area you live. Yeah, so I'm in Ogden, so that's about yep. 45 minute drive north of Salt Lake. So uh, I I attended the U uh, for college. So I lived in Salt Lake for like six years, uh, stayed there for a couple years after. But I'm born and raised in Ogden, and came back and uh, bought a house here last year with my girlfriend. So back in back in Ogden for me, right a on. smaller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of good bike racers come from Ogden or have spent time there. Um, it's a, It seems like a mini hotbed. Yeah. Well, I know you uh, You know Jason Sager, right? I do, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he, like, he was my mom's, like, like, where I grew up. He lived, like, one block away from my mom's house. And, you know, he's been doing the, he was doing the pro bike race thing, like, way before I ever started. So, yeah. I know, I know I've seen you like riding with him like way back in the day when I was like in doing Nika still, uh, yeah. at snow basin and stuff. So kind of funny for sure. For sure. Yeah. So I want to get into your racing and, and current, I don't know if I want to call it trajectory. We're all sort of on a weird trajectory right now. A lot of us coming, come from mountain bike or road and then found this funny middle ground in the Grand Prix. But, um, I want to talk about all that soon um and usually i kind of do these conversations backwards like i'll kind of talk about current stuff with people a little bit first and then go backwards and talk about their their past but um i think it actually kind of makes sense a little bit more here because you've spent your whole life in ogden i think that's interesting um and somewhat somewhat unique these days especially for 
I don't know why, but it seems like bike racers especially are so transient. And we'll get into the fact that bike racing is just part of what you do. But um, I guess we will kick things off with just how you did find yourself getting into cycling. Growing up in in Ogden, obviously, there's a great scene there, great trails in the area. Um, sounds like you did Nike. But tell us a little bit about uh, your your entry point to bike riding and then when you decided you wanted to do it competitively. Yeah. So I, you, I ran like cross country, kind of the classic cross country to cycling pipeline. Um, nice. but yeah, my, uh, my dad kind of pushed me into it a little bit, you know, I was reluctant at first, uh, cause I didn't really get the scene. Um, uh, but once I started racing, like I didn't really like mountain biking, I, I didn't immediately take to it. Uh, but once I started racing and I think that still holds true, like I like racing, a lot you know so that's uh i'm a i'm a competitor like almost more so than just a just a mountain biker that's why when everything kind of transitioned to gravel i was like that's fine with me because i just like racing um <laughs> but uh yeah so once i got into nika I, I got hooked and then there was a a team that i think still exists in some capacity uh called summit bike club um that was just getting started and I can't remember exactly how I got involved with them, but got involved with them. And then they sort of, because they were a development team, sort of like Durango Devo for the mm-hmm. Park City Salt Lake area. And uh, as marketing for their development team, they started somewhat of a pro team. Um, it started with just like an elite junior team. Uh, sort of like bear dev type style. Uh, and then one year in 2019, they had a pro team. So I was with them all throughout the my first years, like getting into racing nationals and trying to qualify for World Cups and, and doing the whole XCOC. So that team kind of showed me the ropes outside of NICA and then, you know, kind of kind of took from there on on my own a bit too um and did the xco thing up until 2020 i guess when we all kind of were doing it yeah 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 so that was like pro xct stuff um did you ever dabble any in any world cups i only did one i did mont saint anne in 2018 um Mm -hmm. yeah i never went over to i did well i went over to europe and raced a couple c1s once we did like a team trip which is really cool but didn't race any world cups over there. Um, but yeah, I, Mont St. Anne was a really cool experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about it some on the podcast over the last handful of years, but obviously the sport kind of goes through these cycles or, or ebbs and flows. And we've all heard about, you know, the heyday of mountain biking in the U S and the, in the nineties and how everyone was making a crazy amount of money. And there were all of these, you know, non-endemic, brands in the sport and all that sort of thing. And then obviously it went through this dip as it transitioned much more over to Europe um, and became, you know, XCO became a bit more of a European thing. The The U.S. XCO thing like kind of has hung in there to an extent or seemed to decently, you know, through the the 20 teens um, when you and I were, you know, doing like the Missoula Pro XCT and wherever Nats was and all that sort of thing. And I remember... Um, you know, you were always a solid racer, especially on, it seemed like, like more climbing oriented courses and you would, you know, you'd pop off, uh, some impressive results. Um, but you know, there's always this, 
leap to like, there's that. And then you, you can't really do it full time or do it for a living. If you're only doing it in the States, like you have to be racing on the world cup. And so there are, you own, you know, all this, obviously I'm just saying it for the listener. There were the, like yeah. the, the handful, the handful few who, uh, were on that Olympic trajectory, like Keegan and obviously Howard, Kate Courtney, blah, 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 doing the world cup thing. But there was always this huge gap. Um, and some of us kind of like got creative, like really, really wanted to do it full time and found our own niches doing these different things. If we didn't end up racing the world cup, uh, but then there were other folks like you who were super good, super strong, um, but there just wasn't infrastructure or like enough of a scene for you to do it full time. But you you stuck with it. So I'm kind of curious. I'm always curious about like folks like you or, you know, I think of someone like Ryan Standish, who I know you're you're really close with and been friends with for a while. And he kind of carved out his own scene and just like through brute force just like made it happen and he has a cool thing going now and gets to do it full time but what was it like for you like through those i don't know if you how you want to timeline it like 2017 through 2020 or whatever before the grand prix stuff started blowing up what was your thought process there was it still just like i love competing i'm not really going to worry about the rest i'm going to have a have a job and that's fine what what was all that like yeah i i mean yeah it's it's uh it's hard to say what my mindset was but I, I knew i really liked racing i loved training i loved the process you know I, I wanted to do my best totally but as far as thinking about it as like professional like a potential career opportunity i guess i never really allowed myself to think of it that way because i would just i kind of ask a few folks who maybe like are like some older pros who kind of saw that transition from like the nineties and out of it or people who were faster than I thought I could ever be, who weren't really making a living out of it still. And so I was like, well, looks like it's kind of impossible. Like this is too niche of a sport. So I'll continue to race and I love racing and I don't, I don't need to be making it a career to really enjoy it. So I basically allowed myself the, like, I was, I just wanted to race through my U23. Uh, career and I was like and then after that I'll just kind of feel it out um so you know I wanted to do my best through there I wanted to try and qualify for you know world champ team or what you know whatever and just do my best and then oddly enough this this like end point that I had put in my mind of being of U23 uh also coincided for me with COVID so mm-hmm. my first year out of U23 got completely canceled anyway. So yeah. I kind of took that whole year and like before we knew that there was going to be a bike boom and, you know, even more opportunity through and after COVID, uh, my, the team I was on that year basically sent an email that was like, Hey, we talked to the sponsors and we're done, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like five days after everything got canceled, it was like, it's oh, over. Man. So yeah, yeah. I just sort of took a step back that year and was like, you know what? I'll just, let's see what it feels like to not race at all. So I didn't mm-hmm. race that year. I didn't train. I just, I rode when I felt like it. And I did like, you know, I did the classic Everesting or whatever, but I was super out of shape yeah. for it. It was actually like horribly difficult for me <laughs> to finish that. <laughs> uh, so and then in 2021, I uh, 
I was like trying to get back into it. I just wanted to race Crusher in 2021 because I had won that in 2018. It was like, and I saw, you know, at post COVID, it seemed like the thing was going to be this gravel stuff. And uh, you won it a it. little early, man. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, exactly. And uh, so I was trying to train for that, but I found it really hard with having not raced for a year or more and not like been in that flow of training to get back into it. So I fought like, and I've always self coached myself throughout all my U23. I just kind of coached myself and I finally text Keegan Swenson. I was like, dude, I need some help. Like I, <laughs> like, I need someone to like check my training peaks and make sure I'm getting the work done. So I started working with him in 2021. Um, no way. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's, cool. and I've bounced a lot of ideas off of him. Like the, actually the year I won Crusher, I texted him cause I know he had done that, but I was still completely focused on nationals and XCO and Crusher was always like, like five days before national champs or like mm. maybe it was a week. But, um, so I texted him, I was like, can I do this and not like completely ruin my national champs? And he was like, yeah, go for it. Uh, anyway, so. I've always kind of bounced ideas off of him. He's always been super cool to me and just like answered my DMs uh, on Instagram. And yeah, but yeah, now he's been coaching me ever since 2021. So, Dude, that's crazy. I had no yeah. idea. And that is so cool. You know, it's funny yeah. because Keegan, like from the outside, he's seen as this, uh, rightfully so, just like this Terminator at this point. Like he just mows down these races and he's, you know, for the last, with a couple of exceptions for the last 18 months has just been unbeatable, obviously. And, you know, is the one pushing, like, usually he's the one that's like, hey, let's do Steamboat without stopping. Like, very performance-driven. And I think to some outsiders, he's just like this winning machine that doesn't care about anything else. Yeah. But that hasn't totally been my experience with him personally. Like, I remember at Steamboat last year, um, I came up short on bottles, and he did not bat an eye like late in the race, handing me one of his bottles. And I guess maybe it's because he like super didn't feel threatened by me. I don't know, but um, <laughs> maybe <laughs> but wanted that is, help. Didn't want you to box. <laughs> exactly. He, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Freddie still had fucking two minutes or whatever. But the, my point is like he, there is a certain like almost like secret generosity that I don't think people really know about that much. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that he's been coaching you. That's really, really cool. And that he's yeah. continued to do it. Yeah, it's been, it's been really cool. And it started out just, you know, just coaching. And I was like, I just want to do Crusher. But then like 2021, uh, like people started, you know, like gravel was growing. And so like Pete Stetna and like Eddie Anderson, who was on Alpacin at the time. And like Eric Brunner, they, I think the year he had won cyclocross national champs mm -hmm. so it was like mm -hmm. it was it was growing and i i got second that year and i was like wow i can i can still you know race like i didn't i peak whoop my ass but the other guys this i beat like which I was, yeah exactly yeah, like yeah. after yeah. like my first race in a year and i was like okay like let's let's keep it rolling if we can and yeah. uh so not only does he has he coached me but he's also definitely like mentored me in terms of like trying to advocate for myself because that's another thing because mm -hmm. i never viewed cycling as like a career and mm -hmm. you know i've kind of like lately i have like don't get me wrong but um 
prior to that, I, I never had. And it, and, you know, he's helped me kind of be like, you know, talk to the right people, network, put yourself out there, post on Instagram, even though you don't want yeah. to, you know, yeah. <laughs> all the little stuff outside all of pedaling. Yeah. Know. It's crazy. Yeah. Here in the States, like all of the little boxes you have to check, but I do feel like it is almost, almost the mo- like if you're strong and you're getting top tens fairly routinely, um, it's almost more like a change in mindset to like close that gap if you actually want to do it. Just recognizing that you actually can do it at this point. And it's interesting you mentioned earlier how you were talking to kind of these these old heads of the scene, like pro guys that were maybe on their way out and juxtapose that to Keegan as a mentor because I feel like a lot of times those pros who had careers but are kind of on their way out there uh counterintuitively like not necessarily the people you want to talk to because oftentimes they're they're carrying a little bit of jadedness on their way out the door and maybe it's kind of the sport sort of putting them to pasture to an extent too so they're not necessarily going to give you this very optimistic like you can do this it's like there's no money like you should be (laughs) realistic like yeah um, it's over (laughs) exactly and so having having a mentor like keegan who is very much making it and is putting, has put all those pieces together having, you know, turned his back on the world cup for now is, um, is cool. So anyway, let, let's talk about kind of the elephant in the room, which is that you are not doing this full time. Well, you are, but you also have a full time job. Um, yeah. I want to go back to like your, your break during the pandemic too, in a minute. Cause I think that's really interesting. Some of the things you said about, taking that year off and how it was hard to get back into it and all that sort of thing. But, um, you hold down a full-time job. I'd love to know what that is, whether that's something, you know, you're enjoying or you're looking to, uh, continue to progress away from that. I mean, jokingly, when I messaged you, I was like, you're, you're probably the fastest guy with a full-time job. I think, I mean, I guess it could depend on the weekend based on how the results shake out. There's a lot of strong people, but, yeah, Nathan Nathan's Spratt, Spratt, man. Good point. <laughs> yeah, good yeah. point. Also, he's, a fellow uh, Salt Lake boy. Yeah, on the on the flat bars, I can I can usually take him, but with the drop bars, he's tough, man. He's a beast. He's yeah. a unit. Yeah. Anyway, I talked to uh, I had Maude Farrell on the pod last weekend, and she also has a full time job. She works at Rivian, and her perspective was really interesting because for the longest time, like up until now, she hasn't wanted to jump in and like take that leap of racing full-time but she's just now this year like well what if i did just totally take the leap and try it so anyway yeah tell us what you do what you think of it maybe what it's like to balance everything i have to assume that's pretty nutty all that sort of thing yeah so i mean luckily as far as full-time job goes i've got a pretty good one for cycling i work for specialized so um they've got an office here in salt lake and I do, they call it retail care. So I am, I just help any odds and end questions that our shops have um, with, it's a, it's mostly e-bikes, I'll be honest. Uh, so e-bike troubleshooting, um, but just kind of anything like order, help, everything outside of basically sales. Uh, that's, that's my role. So for, a while we all we had territories so i had like colorado arizona new mexico which was cool because i mean outside of just having utah 
like that's you know really close and like like mbs durango is like one yeah. of my great shops uh they're they're really oh, yeah. awesome and i talk to nick and darian and kieran all the time so uh um, oh, that's cool yeah so it, it's cool to kind of like cultivate a little relationship i mean it's over email so it's like you know it is it's as good a relationship as you can have but it's it's still fun um and i really like i worked all through college i worked full-time at a bike shop or at least as full-time as i could um but so i love tinkering on bikes i'm, I'm my own mechanic you know I, I, I really like that side of cycling too um so i you know it, it it's easy for me in terms of like stress and whatnot like i just like talking about bikes all day um mm -hmm. but it is rigid so like we I, you know i need to be available on the phone email whatever eight to five monday through friday like no wow. you know there's no like oh i don't have a meeting i'll go ride in the middle of the day like it's you know you're you're solid you're set um so kind of max out at like two hours after work and then you got to get your volume in on the weekends kind of thing um which isn't too bad in the summer because you know sunsets at like nine and you can you can actually get like maybe three four hour ride in in the weekday yeah. on the weekdays after work but uh in the winter is kind of where it's hard it's like you're definitely you're zwifting for sure because it's dark before you get <laughs> off work <laughs> yeah. um but uh yeah i mean it like i said working at a bike company as far as full-time job goes for balancing bike racing it's it's pretty good you get you're you're around it you i have really good coworkers who are awesome ride partners uh i will say like the ride culture at specifically specialized salt lake is awesome like everyone rides every day um there's always a opportunity to to get a big group going pretty much anytime you want with your coworkers. so it's a it's a good culture i think like especially coming from the bike shop you can get a little jaded with uh with bikes being around them all day um but that doesn't that's not the case at at, at our office so it's, it's pretty fun yeah that's awesome that's really good to hear so do you get crafty with like commuting into work and that sort of thing or do you work mostly from home how does that work yeah so i mean i was a i i started during covid and i live in ogden the office at salt lake that's, that's like a 45 minute drive so it'd be a pretty oh, wow. proper day if i commuted in <laughs> Damn. it'd be like yeah. uh, 70 miles on both ends uh so Ooh. i've done it like two or three times but you got to wake up nice and early if you're going to be to work by eight for that <laughs> uh so not really i used to do that a lot more at the bike shop because it was more like a 25 mile ride um yeah. but but yeah not so much mostly just an after work guy now Yep. Yep. Interesting. So what is your perspective on having this full-time job versus, and I'll, honestly, as you were talking, you mentioned specialized, it occurred to me, we have to give Alex Wild a shout out. Cause he's actually another specialized employee that is, that is ultra fast, ultra fast, yeah. um, and holds down, holds down a, a grown up job. But, um, what's your perspective on all that? I mean, you've popped off some really impressive results this year. I think, were you sixth at Unbound or ninth? Uh, ninth, and then I think I was sixth in the the Grand Prix at Unbound. Sixth in the Grand yeah. Prix, and then you had a you were top ten at another GP. Leadville. Were you that, what? What place were you at Leadville? Sixth. Yeah. So I mean, those yeah. are like inarguably the two biggest races we have in the states. Um, 
surrounded by guys who definitely do it full time. <laughs> um, yeah. I think if you went down the list, like I don't know how far you'd have to go down before finding someone else that uh, that holds down a full time job. But does that when you when you get results like that, um, do you look around a little bit and, and think, you know, what what would I be capable of, especially with Keegan in your ear, who is, you know, notoriously just Spartan about his training and does crazy hours. I'm sure coaching you, he's like, all right, what are we going to do with our hour 40, hour 45 here at 6 PM? That sounds like his absolute hell, you know? Yeah. <laughs> For, yeah. Like if he had to do it that way, um, is he ever in your ear? Like, come on, dude, let's give this a go. Are you, are you actively looking for opportunities or, I mean, you also said you just bought a house. So like there's, there's that component too, where, you know, there's a, this huge spectrum of what folks in our position can make right now. And probably a lot of people that are racing full time, you know, couldn't afford a house in their mid twenties, like you are on, on their current bike racer income. So what's all that thought process like right now? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a blessing and a curse a a little bit, um, where yeah, the stability is nice for sure. Of just like having a consistent paycheck. Um, I mean, I'm, not to like, I'm sure there's plenty of pro racers who have a consistent check, but as someone like trying to like dive in, you definitely have a little bit of doubts about it. Uh, so having that is definitely nice. Um, and yeah, I have definitely made some life choices where it's like, you can't just back out of a mortgage, you know? So it's like, I need to be making (laughs) money and like paying the bills. Uh, cause you know, like some people will take a different approach where it's like, you know, I'll, live at mom's or like live in a van or, you know, they're just going to make it happen by, you know, just bootstrapping it and, you know, living off a little bit of savings the best they can. And I have a ton of respect for that, but I've just, I'm not in a position to be able to do that. And it's just not, not something that I want. And like, I've got a girlfriend and, you know, we want to, you know, we do things in life that aren't, necessarily in line with kind of going the bare minimum route. So Mm -hmm. basically if I'm going to jump to the full-time thing, like it's got to be like a pretty seamless transition, uh, for me. So I'm definitely thinking about it. It definitely crosses my mind more so than ever this year. And you mentioned Keegan. Yeah. Like he's, it's funny because in my racer mind, I'm like, Oh, this is fine. Like I'll just do my rides during the week and then we'll ride like 10 hours on Saturday and Sunday. And then boom, we got a 30 hour week. And he's like, yeah, no, let's, it's actually kind of the opposite. He's, he's the one who's like tamping me on the hours, like respect the job. Like, let's just get high quality. I mean, I mean, he pushes me, but it's like, yeah, he's definitely more of a quality over quantity guy, despite what you might think based on how much quantity he does. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There's also like a very, you know, rigid, like it's, uh, you know, hit, hit the, hit the high quality sessions for sure. Um, so yeah, it crosses my mind and I think about it a lot and I'm definitely looking into it. I finally, I, I hired an agent after unbound. It was like, okay, like got a, got a solid result there, got some interest. And there's a lot of different approaches as far as jumping into the full-time pro thing, but yeah, I'm, we'll see, you know, there's some good opportunities uh, yeah. right now, uh, potentially, I mean, there's nothing's finalized. I'm very early stages on all of it, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, we'll see. I'm not, I'm not gonna like emotionally commit one way or the other. 
but I think about yeah. it. That's cool, man. Yeah. 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 It's such a weird time. Cause I feel like, um, you know, as, as an example, like last, uh, last weekend, when was steamboat? Um, we almost ended up going to the line together and yeah, I mean, I, in, in your shoes, like it has to cross your mind. Like here's this guy who does this full time and, and has, you know, these different things he's doing. And I feel like a lot of times it's sort of just timing, you know, like you make one decision to go to one event like seven years ago. And it just like ever so slightly changes the trajectory of what you're doing or even from a more like present standpoint. Like I just think about some of the conversations I have in the industry now and the, the willingness of brands to just be like, who do we spend money on? Like the the gravel scene is exploding so hard. Like I'll have conversations with this brand or the other, and they'll be like, "What do you think of this rider? Do you think it would be worth signing them? Um, how much do you think would be required to to sign them?" And I'm like, "Really? You're like just gonna throw money at that rider? Look at these three others that are, you know, consistently in the results sheet about, and that's totally new. Like I think back to the going back to the 20 teens and the Pro XCT and uh, I pretty much, I wasn't living in a van, but I was definitely doing that like bootstrap thing, just trying to make it. And you're just fighting for every dollar. And it's so different now where brands are almost just like someone in the Grand Prix, like take our money. Like we want more representation in, in the Grand Prix field. And it is interesting to me how there are these riders, like whether it's you or Nathan Spratt or someone else who, you know, it's almost like just the right, like you haven't ended up in the right room per se um at the right time because the opportunities are there dude like hugely especially for someone that's popping off results like you are and so the fact that you just mentioned that you hired an agent is super exciting because that's like kind of they just like find the room (laughs) you know yeah like rather than you just having to like end up in the right room at the right time to align um they, they do that do that work for you so that's super cool um and really good to hear if you do end up pursuing something like that, do you think you would try to maintain some sort of part-time position with Specialized? Like, what's that work relationship like? Because I think Alex did something like that for a period of time. Maybe he still does, where he had quite a bit of flexibility and all that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that would look like. I haven't. I haven't brought that up with them. Um, for sure, it would make the transition a lot easier. I think what I do could lend itself to, you know, some part-time work. Um, there's, you know, there's the question of like fairness, I guess. I think that comes up where mm. it's like, you know, I've got 10 other people on my team who do the same thing I do. And, you know, they're just here to work full-time and do the whole thing. And uh, to be the one guy on their part-time, it's like, you know, I don't know how that works. So it, it would be a conversation worth worth having. But, you know, I'm going to wait until we've got something on paper that's like, okay, you know, I'm, I got this much money from this sponsor. It's not quite enough to quit. And if, if part-time makes sense, then, you know, yeah, I'll definitely push for that. Um, yeah. But I'm just leaving it open. And, and you, you mentioned like being in the right room and, and, and I, I try not to wear the the work full-time thing on my sleeve too much. Like it is, you know, something that affects me. But it's like, I also see that, you know, I when in 2017, 
you guys were working hard, hustling on Instagram, promoting yourself. Like you mentioned being teammates with Ryan for two years, like every race he was spending like two hours at the expo, like just yeah shooting the shit, you know? Yep, and yep. uh I would just be like, see you dude, I'm going to take a nap. Like, you know, I want to <laughs> race. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. no interest in like networking. But uh yeah, and so that's yeah. paid off for him and it should, you know, like and I recognize yeah. that it's like just like uh, you know, you show up to a race, you're not fit, or you flat tire because you picked the wrong tire, sealant or whatever. Like you don't spend two hours at the expo or shoot a bunch of cold emails off or whatever, like you probably aren't going to get sponsored. So I'm, and I'm okay with the logic of that and the, my choices that have led to this, but, uh, you, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Yes. No, it's cool. You, it's cool. You say that. Um, and it is true, you know, go, going back to just like little conversations you'll have in the industry now and then like going actually this past weekend when I was in, in Bentonville, I was having a conversation with a sponsor and they're, they're interested in a couple of riders and one of them pretty consistently finishes ahead of the other, but kind of the general consensus was like, you literally don't see them. Like if, if our goal is to sell bikes, um, there needs to be more than just a name on a results sheet. Like there isn't much brand athlete symbiosis there if it's just a name on a results sheet, like there needs to be a face with the name, a personality with the name, someone in the expo with the name, because ultimately that's where people become fans of, of pro riders. Like we are in a participation sport here in the U S it's not the tour, you know, it's not the world cup where there's 25,000 fans lining the course. Like it's a social thing. And I kind of going back to like the jaded, X pro topic a little bit. Like I completely understand their perspective to an extent because it is, it, it's, it's different. It's yeah. different than other styles of cycling. And I think for a little while there were people, maybe to an extent there still are that like had uh, some frustration with that or bitterness. Um, but it's, it's what we have and what we have is freaking awesome right now. Yeah. And I think the fact that it's different is is okay because the alter the alternative is that there there isn't a professional racing scene. Um let's talk about your season a little bit. Um you you've won races, which is awesome. Crusher. Have you won point to point, by the way? No. You know. No. Yeah. No, okay. I, I actually did a little Instagram post about like wow, how have I not won this race yet? Um, I've been <laughs> close many times, uh, but yeah, never, never put it together. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for another go tomorrow. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I've like missed it. Like I, like in 2018, I was, uh, you know, I was pretty young at the time and like Jeff Kabush showed up, Ben Sontag, like all these heroes of mine, uh, Russell Finsterwald came out like, it, you know, people came out for it and, I had, you know, I dropped Jeff, I dropped Ben, and then Russell, I think, had to, like, go to the bathroom <laughs> during, like, the race <laughs> or something, so I dropped Russell, uh, but Alex Grant was, like, way off the front. He he won that oh, race, yeah. I think, 10 times in a row, which is, <gasps> which, like, I don't know if you're familiar with point-to-point, -point, 
but it is like proper mountain biking for 75 miles. It's not, you mm-hmm. know, no fire roads, no pavement, or at least very minimal. So to mm-hmm. not like have issues there and when go 10 and 0 is pretty remarkable. Um, anyway, and he so, was good. He's I on remember, another level. Dude, that guy was so freaking strong. Do you see him around much? He's still in the area, right? Yeah, he's he's a Salt Lake guy, so I I see him around. Um, and he runs a, uh, I guess they call it gear consignment uh, shop called uh, mm-hmm. Gear Rush. Um, yep. And they they actually just started doing a like community ride, like super chill, like Thursday night ride. So he's still involved cool. totally. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Yeah. So anyway, where I was going with that is you. I mean, you've had race success before. We sort of had this uh grand prix gravel boom so you've you've been privy to just sort of like the the transition of the scene obviously every year it gets a bit more international we have some pretty cool riders coming over from from overseas these days um the races are getting faster more competitive etc uh you mentioned earlier that you're a competitor you just love competing um and it has been pretty special to see kind of the world come to us to an extent a little bit. Obviously it's at a very different level than, than the world cup or something like that. But we have these different guys that have had and women that have had very successful careers in other realms or in the, like Matt beers in the middle of an awesome career. Um, Brendan Johnston, whoever it is, what has it been like for you just as a competitor, um, as someone that likes to go head to head with really fast people to, to be a part of this, you know, to be in the Grand Prix this year and, and get to test yourself against um, really uh, kind of a, like a flourishing pro field. Yeah, it's it's been awesome. It's, um, I, you know, I think even when I was a junior or, you know, doing the XCO thing, I think I always, and I think this is true for a lot of people, but I, I like the longer training, you know, I like big days, you know, the, the prep for, Leadville and Crusher and Unbound is much more engaging than like a super dialed like VO2 session for XCO or whatever. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. not as fun. So um, to be able to race. And then also I like the fact that it's not such a fight for the single track. Like I, I'm sure you remember the the battle for UCI points. So you could start Dude. further up and it was just this constant. You never felt like you got a race like proper for the front. Like it was it's just so like true the top 10 is gone, like find what you can, um, you know, pick up the scraps. And that was just not my thing. And like, you got sick and your UCI points expire, you know, like it just the timing of it. I, I, I wasn't a huge fan. Whereas this, these races allow you to like, you know, you've got room. I mean, it's hectic. Don't get me wrong, but like you can move up, you know, you can, you can be there if you've got the legs. Um, so I really like that. And it's, it's pretty fun. And I, I also like the slow burn aspect too, where, you know, even if you're not as fit as Keegan, you, you know, or whoever you get a race at the front for several hours, potentially, if you, if you, if you're on a good day, um, and it allows you to, you know, kind of find your legs throughout the day and not have to, you know, the race isn't over before it starts. So I really like that. And you get a, you know, see these see these guys that you respect and you know look up to up close it's really cool yeah no it's so true it, it is really interesting how the races develop and i don't miss that that rat race of like 
can I move up from the seventh row to a top 20 somehow to like the, the absolutely perfect race that you would have to have in a competitive XCO, whether it's a world cup or, you know, sea otter or whatever was just unreal. And then you like trying to carve out a career from that, from like having an insane ride where you finish 17th. It's like, how are you, it, it was just not a great setup or very motivating and to yeah. have these events now where like, you know, just as an example, going back to Steamboat last weekend, you and I ended up together um, and there was like all of these weird things that had to happen for us to end up in that last little thing with with Finn at the end. We're like, yeah, uh, I, w- I went in the early break, had to survive the second half of the race. You I think you crashed. You slid out, right? Yeah, I was with uh, the Pete, Lachlan, Rob Britton, and Finn group. And then, yeah, yeah, like, I don't know if you saw where Adam Robert's crashed. I yeah. crashed the very next corner, uh, just like yeah. some kitty litter on that pavement. And they, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get some momentum because I knew that hill was coming, that paved hill. And I just yep. took it way too hot, just ate crap. And then, and then Finn, I was like trying to catch up to him because he, I think he ended up getting dropped on that climb. And then he stopped in that next aid station. I had no idea. So I ended oh, up just zipping right past him. So I ended up being solo <laughs> that whole time when I was like trying to chase Finn so I could have someone to work with. But yeah, then you guys <laughs> ended up coming up behind. I was like, where the hell did he go? That's yeah. funny. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, point being like, there were so many weird dynamics for us to have that little like three person battle at the end where, you know, like we just mentioned, our two trajectory or two scenarios and then finn was like rolled the dice on tires and you know had amazing tires for like the fast climbs but definitely struggled on that last double track and we had this fun sort of like tactical situation at the end where we we're trying to hold them off when we're both like totally on our hands and knees after six yeah. hours of racing like it's just so different than an xco where like you put one foot wrong you have one thing go wrong and it, it's day over yep. um and it it's just to me it's this amazing like in between of adventure mixed with really you know tough racing and competition so anyway i totally echo yeah. you there um all right before we get you out of here last thing i wanted to touch on was um what you did with your 2020 when you decided to step away from the sport a little bit like how how did you fill your time um in general do you have time for interest outside of racing and and work or did you just like pick up some weird hobby <laughs> in 2020? Yeah. yeah, I uh I mean I still rode just like super inconsistently. It'd be like, oh, I wouldn't ride like Monday through Friday and then Saturday I would like try to get like I would try to bag like the three peaks in Ogden or something. It'd be like seventeen thousand mm. feet of climbing day. And then I'd take a week, a complete week off because I was yeah. shelled, you know, just like stuff like that. But um yeah, I, I, I just worked a ton too because I was at the shop and then we had this unexpected bike boom and we were just mm-hmm. selling the crap out of bikes and we've got, you know, it's like, I don't, I can't remember the numbers, but say we'd sell like 10 high-end, you know, Yeti, Santa Cruz, whatever builds in a, in a, in a week, you know, we're selling a hundred now and there's just like not enough people who can do a what? frame build. So there was just kind of unlimited work. Um, yeah. And so you'd go for the overtime. Yeah. Like there was definitely a period there where I was working like 70 hour weeks, just like <sighs> trying to make money. 
Um, and that there was no racing. I wasn't really concerned about the training and I was just like, cool, like, let's just work a ton. So I worked a lot and I hate to admit it, but I did get an Xbox and got a little addicted to Call of Duty oh, yeah. Warzone. <laughs> um, not uh, like, I definitely had to, in order to like break that addiction at the end, I just had to get rid of the Xbox. It was like, I can't, wow. if it's in the house, I'm going to play it. So yeah, got rid of that at the, like, the end of summer 2020, but unfortunately played my fair share of video games. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Good stuff. Yeah, a little bit of riding and then little like in the winter i do schemo and uh and like and backcountry skiing but honestly i like schemo like the resorts just because you don't have to find a partner you don't have to do avalanche safety it's just like go in hike up ski go home like it's just easy uh so i've been doing that a bit too yeah right on cool good stuff yeah it seems like a good off-season activity in the salt lake area when you are a little short on time but yeah. who knows? Maybe you'll be uh, you'll be in some sunny climate doing fat preseason miles next winter, depending on how things develop. Yeah, we'll see how it goes for sure. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Um, well, thanks for doing this. If people want to, I know you were sort of joking about not being very committed to social media and stuff, but what's that oh, yeah. handle? Yeah, I'm uh, just at Zach Colton with a C-H. Z-A-C-H-C-A-L-T-O-N on Instagram and Strava. I, I actually like Strava as a social media because you kind of have, you don't have to post every day, but I do post every day, you know, because I post yeah. all my rides and I actually like title them and, you know, do like, I don't know. That's like the social media I like. So Strava Sweet. and Instagram, that's me. Oh yeah. yeah. How many and people try call you Zach? Do better. What? How many people call you Zach Carlton? L- everyone yeah like <laughs> that's what yeah. i figured <laughs> yeah or everyone. calton calton is big Cal- for sure <laughs> yeah and then in like the the little like recap of leadville they called me zach colt so oh wow that's different yeah i don't know how they got that but anyway interesting it's a funny one All right. <laughs> good stuff man um well thanks for fitting us into your hectic schedule hope you have fun at uh point to point this weekend who who do you have to race there tomorrow yeah, lots of lots of guys. Kyle Trudeau uh, will yeah, be there. He's solid. always strong. Yeah. Um, he's he's actually come to point to point like every year. Uh, he makes a, mm. the track up from Tucson. Um, Kyle Trudeau, Danny Van Wagener is a local guy, but he got he was like the second American at Marathon Worlds. Um, oh wow! And his teammate Roger Arnell, Anders Johnson, who is fresh off a individual pursuit national title. Um, oh wow that's different, different yeah well he, <laughs> he used to i don't know if you know anders but he was awesome at mountain biking he had a few like podiums like second place at national champs to chris blevins back in the junior yeah, yeah, days yeah. and yeah. uh he was a beast of a mountain biker so it'll be cool to have him back out there um right on and then uh yeah i'm trying to think if there's anyone else i mean there uh truman glasgow is yeah, really yeah. good especially on like technical proper single mm-hmm. track like he's a he's a proper mountain biker so he'll be he'll be strong out there um, right on and then lots of just like local legends that are that are really awesome but yeah sweet yeah it'd be cool cool dude all right uh see you when will i see you next schwam again yeah or gravel nats i don't know if you're doing gravel nats oh you're doing gravel nats sick yeah i signed up last second yeah i wasn't i wasn't sure but yeah i'm gonna go for it so are you gonna be there <laughs> 
Yeah, I also signed up last second. I feel like everyone nice. was sort of keeping an eye on it, like, ah, is this going to be legit? Should we do it? But yeah, yeah I'm going to. It's a nine-hour drive, so whatevs, I'll tack it. It makes the rest of the season a little insane schedule-wise, but we're racers. Yep, yep. Well, I'll see you out there. Sounds good, Zach. Thanks Good luck. Thanks, Payson. Hello again, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Zach Calton. I want to give a quick shout-out to SaltStick for supporting today's episode. Uh, Like I said at the top of the show, Fast Chews, the Salt Sick Fast Chews are a chewable electrolyte tablet, sort of like sweet tarts, but for hydration, you can chew them up and they're absorbed in the mouth tissue, which is up to four times faster absorbing than through the gut and also comes in handy big time if you get an upset stomach um, or are just tired of eating and drinking during a long race or training ride, really intense ride, whatever it may be. Upset stomach is a very common occurrence in endurance Uh, endurance sports and this is an awesome way to make sure that your electrolytes continue to stay topped up no matter what i love them for hot days during key workouts uh, long rides all that sort of thing they come in seven great flavors including lemon lime mixed berry and tropical mango they come in 60 count bottles or 10 count ziploc packets so you can bring them on the go easily and you can pick some up at your local bike shop at rei at amazon or on the saltstick.com website that's just saltstick, S-T-I-C-K dot com. And you can get yourself 20% off with code PASIN20. Big thanks to them for supporting today's episode. Also, uh, just a quick reminder that we're going to be giving away some socks, some purple socks with mustaches on them, just because we like to keep it fun, I guess. Uh, you can go to the Adventure Stash Instagram and play trivia. Once a week, they'll be on the story, so stay tuned to the socials. Every correct answer is one entry, so you can get up to three entries per week. We'll cover shipping, ship them straight out to you, no string detached, uh, just doing it for fun as a thank you for uh, staying engaged on the socials. Lastly, big thank you to Lily McKelvin for editing and producing the show each and every week. Thanks to all of y'all for supporting Uh, hit subscribe if you don't do that already so you never miss an episode Uh, they come out quick and fast one a week haven't missed a week yet actually that's not true we did take one week off i gotta stop saying that i used to be able to say that we took a week off for lily's wedding a couple months ago but other than that each and every week thank y'all for listening we'll catch you next week